0: Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Thanks, Henry. Howdy. Howdy. Hey, thanks y'all for coming out. Worship night tonight. Glad you're here. Uh, If I haven't mentioned yet, my name's William and this is my, I guess, second to last time to ever preach here with RUF. So next week will be my signing off, and be sure to come. So there's a few graduating seniors. Be sure to come next week. I want to like pray for all the seniors. We've got a little pleasant, um, for you, but uh, yeah, pleasure here. And um, yeah, it's just kind of it's been weird to soak in these last couple of weeks. Um, I think I'm just now having like my emotions are starting to catch up with me, and even just walking around on campus today, it's like oh man. This is just a, lot of, a lot of cool things I've seen the Lord do um, in your life, and I think that's one of, the, one of the cool things, that's one of the best things, I think, about being in ministry, is like, I just get a front row seat to see what the Lord is doing in your life. Like, I, I don't know how much impact I really have, but I always get to see what the Lord is doing through His Spirit and through His Word. Um, in your life, kind of forming and shaping you into the adult men and women that you are and you are um, becoming. Um, So that's awesome, love y'all lots. Come next week and we'll uh, we'll have a good, good last final uh, large group slash worship night um, together. But um, okay, and so on that note of forming and shaping, this semester we've been tracking our way through the songs of an ascent, a very important Section of the Old Testament book of Psalms, which trace out uh, for us the experience of Israelites as they journey and ascend up to Jerusalem, up to the Temple Mount to meet and worship God in their kind of yearly uh, feasts and festivals. And so, what these Psalms do is they give us a vision for what it looks like to spiritually grow, so they're going to go on a journey with. And towards God, one of the, what we call that in our Christianese is discipleship. Discipleship. So these songs are about discipleship. What it looks like to journey with and follow God. Um, and so, if we're doing that, if we're thinking about these songs as really telling the story of a journey, um, then this week and next week. You're kind of at the part of the story, you're at the part of the Songs of Ascent where like you've arrived. Like the people that are journeying up to Jerusalem, they're there and they're at the temple. So that's this week and next week is really kind of focusing on like, all right, what does it look like to arrive as a disciple? Um, so again, this week, it's just this—it's this high, high point of the story art or if you think about it in terms of marvel movies like you know when uh, it's an end game and the marvel cecily's uh-huh. like <laughs> um, uh, yes it's an end game and you've got the core group of superheroes and they're about to have this final face off with of thanos and his army <laughs> <laughs> thanos- sorry if you're, if, if you're actually pronouncing it in greek you know do you know what Thanos means in Greek? I mean, no. It means death. Thank you. Oh you said. Sorry. sorry. Thanos. For the um kind uh, of Thanos. So right like, in that moment it's kind of this climactic, like, ah, oh, they're about to go, and then what happens? Like, all the superheroes from all the movies start portaling in. It's like they're all they're all there together on the battlefield. It's just this high, high point of like, yes, this is what all these different movies and all these different storylines, they were all converging on this. This is what we want to see. We want to see all the good guys fighting the bad guys. Um, or maybe even a little sweeter, more sentimental scene in the movie is um, like Lord of the Rings. That last scene after evil's been vanquished, you've got Aragorn is crowned king and you kind of got this scene where like everyone's bowing and then there's four little hobbits and they start to bow down. He says, my friends, you bow to no one. And then like everybody, I've got like chill-ups on. Everyone just like starts bowing down to these four little seemingly unimportant hobbits. It's just it's like, yes, like, this story was all about getting to this moment right here because it's just fun and beautiful. So that is our text tonight. The song I'm about to read you is that kind of scene. And it's recounting in song form one of the highest moments of Israel's history, which was, hey, just like after generations and generations of fighting and failure and enemy nation takeovers and bad rulers and lawlessness in the land, finally, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. God's very footstool of his throne on earth. In other words, where God himself specially dwells on the, in the world, that finally comes to rest in the capital city of Jerusalem. Alright, um, so it's a pinnacle moment. God, his people, together, dwelling in the land, capital city, with God's chosen representative king, everything's come together. Alright, so now let's, let's read We hold that in our mind. So Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathra. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's pray. Um, Lord, would you just bless our time here together as we... Unpack your word. Um, your word is truth. You know your word is pure, like uh, silver purified, like gold put through a crucible in perfection. And what I pray is, we talk about our things. We talk about beautiful things. We talk about good news. Uh, that we would really come before it as like this is precious, precious. Uh, That we treat your word as the the treasure that it is, um, more desirable than anything. Answer your name, we ask this. Amen. In the Dave Matthews song "Grace Street," he describes this incredibly depressed woman, incredibly distressed about her life. And one of the lines of the song is this: It says, "She prays to God most every night." And though she swears he doesn't listen, there's still a hope in her he might. And there's kind of a question in there, in that little song lyric, that you may or may not have considered. And it's this. How do you know if God actually receives your prayers or not? Or we can even ask this a little bit bigger. What confidence do you have that you are allowed access at all to the holy, to the perfect, to the spotless God. Because if I am imperfect, then I am. And if I have a record of disobeying God, we lie to people, we love money more than we love God. We lust after the bodies of people that like, aren't our husband or aren't our wife, etc. 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 Long list of sins we could include there. But our record, if that is our record, then what right whatsoever do we have to access God's love, much less his ears? Um, in fact, maybe the only confidence we should have is actually no way. I swear he doesn't listen. Um, and yet, right? And yet, we have the tenor of this song, this high point of confidence, of assurance. Right? There's a hope in us that might say, at the very least, that God would listen and dwell with us. But where, where is that confidence coming from in the Psalms? Why are they able to approach God and approach His throne and approach Him with worship just with this like extreme sense of this is where we belong, this is right, this is good? Um, it comes from the presence of a very particular person in the song, A very particular kind of person uh, that the Bible would call a mediator. And specifically that mediator that we get to see, see talk about here is King David, okay? And so as we're starting to tie up with a bow our little song of ascent journey um, of, hey, what does it look like to be a disciple of God I want us to unpack here that as we're arriving at like this is the big culminating point. We've arrived at the end of the journey. That I want us to see when we get there, the the songs of Ascent are wanting to direct us to a mediator, to a special kind of person that we need to have a relationship with God. Okay? So let's just tonight we're just gonna do a real simple thing. First, let's just ask. Why? Why do we need a mediator? Um, and then secondly, who? who is that mediator? All right, first, why do we need a mediator? All right, so we already started scratching the surface of this, but let's uh, push a little bit more into our kind of cultural moment. Because maybe your instinct, or maybe you know people that have an instinct on God that is like the Avid Brothers song, Me and My God. My God, my God and I don't need a middle man. You know? Hey, I don't need any institution or church or theologian. Maybe I don't even need a particular kind of holy text to connect me to God or the spiritual or whatever. Because I'm an independent, sovereign, individualistic American, and I can do for me, decide for me, and if I like this or don't like that, I can cut, paste, you know, put together what I think is true and good and maybe you and going to put together like this is what i think god is like therefore that's what he's like very popular maybe the most popular way of conceiving of religion and god for most americans honestly but biblical orthodox christianity which is what we here at ruf want to represent uh, has a stout, stout rebuttal to that. And so let me let me dig into the background of this psalm to flesh out that rebuttal, okay? So this psalm, in the first handful of verses, it's describing the fact that, again, when the Israelites when were being established in the Promised Land as a kingdom, with God as their ruler king, and God had chosen that Jerusalem would be, like, that would be his city. That's where he wanted his tabernacle, eventually his his temple, to dwell there on Jerusalem, which was built on Mount Zion. Um, And, okay, cool. Um, But the problem was, even as God lifted up David, and he now has this human representative of his kingship kind of walking around, and he's defeated his enemies from within Israel and outside of Israel, he's conquered, he's in Jerusalem, but the big problem is, like, they don't have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. And actually, it's lost, like the Philistines have it for a little while, Uh, but after a while it kind of makes its way, like, back into Israel area, um, and it's in the countryside, and the psalm even here is kind of describing, like, hey, we, we, we kind of know where it is now. Let's go get it. Um, and so that is specifically referring to when it says, like, behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. It's referring to this specific event in the life of King David um, when they're like, oh, we found the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go get it. Right? Let's go get it. Let's haul this thing up to Jerusalem. We're going to crank the kingdom of God up to 11. It's going to be done. Right. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do this thing. But what happened when they did that is as they were trucking the ark up to Jerusalem, it was on a cart. And it hit a bump on the road. And this guy named Uzzah did what any one of us I think would have done. Right? And so it hit a bump. The ark is super precious, valuable. This is like God's dwelling on earth. It's a special place where he says, I'm going to manifest my presence and power. It starts to jostle, right? He, he kind of looks down at the ground with like dirt and mud and oxy. He sees about to fall, and he does what any of us would have done. He reached out his hand to just study the ark. And in that moment, God smoked him, struck him dead right moment. And everybody, there was like a giant, like, woodstock party kind of going on as this was happening. And it just all went silent. And everyone stopped and, like, dumped the ark, ark off into somebody's house nearby. And they all left because they were terrified. They didn't know what to do. Um, and it's because in that moment, God communicated something loud and clear to them which was this. Uzzah saw this precious gold representation of God's presence. He saw it start to fall. He looked down. He saw the dirtiness and mud. He looked at his hand, and he said, it would be way better for this hand of mine to touch the ark than for the ark to fall on the ground. And God said, no wrong. The ground's muddy, sure. God, the, the ground's my creation. I create it. I declare it's very good. Your hand is stained with sin, it's defiled. And when God is approached by sin, He says, I can only do one thing, which is to destroy it, to pour my wrath on it. Not because God's mean, because it's so, so perfectly good. God would have to stop being good for him to countenance um, sin and the defilement of sin. Are your hands clean enough to reach out and touch God? Look, if your conception of God or your conception of how religion or spirituality works is that you can just like at your convenience access God your way, if that's you, look, I, I y'all know me. Y'all been with me no, most of you have. Um, I don't I don't say things like Starkly just for like fire and brimstone shock value, but I feel like it just feels appropriate here in the context of the song. If that is kind of like it just religion my way, I am warning you out of love and care for your eternal existence, you are on a journey that leads to destruction. Because the living and true God has made it crystal clear in his revelation of himself. That because of our guilt and our imperfection, we can't approach Him. At least in and of ourselves. We have to have a middleman. Sorry, Brothers. I love your music. You're wrong on this one, though. We have to have a mediator. We have to have something or someone that can stand in the gap. But give us access to God without us being destroyed. That's why we need a mediator. Okay? So point two. Who's our mediator? Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, But it's true, right? First, First Timothy chapter two, verse five. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's the answer. New Testament uses the cheat codes. That's great. Let's let's show our work, though. Okay, let's show our work. How does Psalm 132 point to what 1 Timothy says? Um, Alright, so the Psalm, going back to it. After indicating in the first couple of verses that there was a, a buffle, to say the least, with getting the ark to Jerusalem, the voices of the Psalm are singing out. Hey, eventually, arise, O Lord. Go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For, for what? On what basis are they asking God to rise up and for Him to allow the ark to be brought to Jerusalem? On what confidence are they banking access to God? For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. So why would they lean in on David for that plea to have God's presence dwell with them? Verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant, my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons forever shall sit on your throne. So, you see, God entered into this unique and special covenant. And if you're not familiar with that word, uh, it just means like a blood bound relationship. Um, and He entered into that with David, that one of His descendants would reign. And this, like, he would be this perfect, kingly representative of God, ruling God's people perfectly forever. Um, and here's a surprising thing that God did that shocked his people. Is that to make sure this covenant actually got fulfilled, to make sure that a son of David actually was righteous and pure and kept the covenant rules and testimonies of God. Because guess what? A lot of the Old Testament, you go read it. Guess what the sons of David were not? Not very righteous. To make sure there actually was one. God himself stepped into the flesh of a son of David, born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. And so what that means is, so what David, even just in his person, represents, so this whole covenant with David, what this is all pointing to all along was that instead of God asking human beings in our sinfulness to hopelessly try to climb up into his presence and get blown away in the process, he actually climbs down to us. And he creates this perfect mediator between God and man, the truly God and truly sinless man, to bridge that gap between us, to be the access point we so desperately need to have a relationship with God. I've told this story a bunch of times before, um, some of you might remember it. Uh, When I was in my last year of seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, um, I I knew I was coming here to A&M, and A&M was playing Ole Miss in Oxford. Um, And my brother had free tickets to the game. And I said, hey, you have like a vested interest in A&M now? Want to go to the game? And I was like, yeah, come on. And, and I should correct myself, because when I say my brother had free tickets, here's what he, he actually had. So my brother worked for uh, the telecom internet company that provides all of the like, in-stadium, uh, like Wi-Fi, and internet, and cell reception, and even does all of the like, telecom stuff for the teams on the field. And so his job was that he was the engineer on duty that like, if anything went wrong with the telecom services, it was his job to, like be there to fix it. And so to do that, he had to have an all-access pass. He had to be able to get anywhere in that stadium that needed to be gotten uh, to. And so when I say he had like free tickets to game, I mean like. We had this, like, awesome official lanyard thing. It was like, you want to go on the field? Let's go on the field. You want to go in the stands up there? We'll go to stand on here. You know, it was, we could go anywhere we wanted. We also got to go up into the skybox area if we wanted to. And so my brother Drake, he, like, you know, just being halfway through the game, was like, you want to go to the chancellors? You want to go to the chancellors suite? I was like, sure. Like, you I need to go to the chancellors suite. So we, like, we, um, we start walking uh, towards just this like special elevator shaft, and there's like you know, security guards um, all pumped up. And I'm starting to get nervous. So I'm like, OK, my brother might supposed to be here because this is job. I do not belong here, right? Um, this is not where I am supposed to be. But we walk up. My brother flashes his pass on the lanyard. I'm like, you know, kind of show mine. And the security guard's like, come on, come on. And we hop up on the elevator, and we you know, go up into the box thing. There's just like all this amazing food and chicken fingers and
1: cookies everywhere. And we're just like, yeah, this is
0: VIP life. All right? Uh, here's the thing. Did I deserve to be up there? No, absolutely not. CEOs of companies and like big dollar donors paid more money than I would probably ever have in my entire life to be up there. I did not belong up there. But I belonged up there, just like everyone else. Not because of me, or my work, or my value, but because of my mediator, because of the work and the position of my brother and the status that he gave me, that he ushered me into the high place. By draping me with his identity. That's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's actually not a perfect metaphor, though. Because what Jesus actually does for us is an even bigger work. Uh, let's key in on one more verse. So this is God speaking now of the of the Davidic king, verse 18. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But on him, his crown will shine. Um, So what this is saying is that like just as we've already covered, God is good. He is just. He cannot deal with sin any other way than pouring out just his clean, holy justice on sin. So it's one thing for him to look at Jesus um, and at the perfection of Jesus and say, Yeah. You've got unfettered access to me. Come on. But it'd actually still be wrong. If God... Like, God would actually have to stop being good. He would actually have to stop being himself. If he were to just look at us and say, Okay, yeah, you can come in too. Like, Jesus is perfect, whatever. I'm just going to overlook your stuff and come in too. Unless, unless our mediator not only earned a perfect righteousness for us, but also also clothed himself as an enemy. He actually clothed himself with our shame, so that God could pour out His clean wrath on that for us too. Right? So imagine instead, what would it, what would it cost somebody? To to break in and get caught trespassing on a skybox, maybe you get arrested, financial fines, maybe you'd be banned from the stadium forever. Maybe somebody would chase you. Um, What if my brother not only gave me the shining crown of his access, but also got treated for me as if he didn't belong there? And look, I get all all illustrations kind of break down eventually, but that would actually be pushing closer to the reality of Jesus' mediation for us. Not only does he give us his beautiful, perfect, spotless righteousness, he also takes all of our unrighteousness and he just cleans it out by him taking the wrath of God to the last drop. Friends, why should we feel a bold sense of access to God? And I mean, like, I mean storm the throne room of heaven with our prayers kind of access, confidently knowing that God's loving affection and fatherhood are smiling on us, and there is no chance, there is no chance cosmically that he can have any other disposition towards us other than that. Why do we have that confidence? Because we have entrusted ourselves not to ourselves, but instead we sing with this song. Remember, O oh Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. He was clothed in my shame; he became an enemy. So now that it is legally done, he's earned his crown, and he shares it with his people. And God is God, and He is holy, and He tells the truth, and He never backs off His promises. So now when we trust in Jesus, the only thing that can be true of us, God's word on it, is that we can only be swept up with Him into access and love of God. Disciple, how do you journey to God? Jesus said the way is narrow. The wide, the, uh, wide is the path that leads to destruction. And Jesus says, all sinners are welcome to travel through the access point of Jesus. Would you consider that an invitation? Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, teach us. Teach us as we are following you, that we are learning from you, why it is so important, why it is so necessary that you Stand in the gap. That you stand in the gap to make up for the gap, you stand in the gap to connect. That there is only one way to God. And it's through you. And it's not kind of like jumping through hoops of like our works or our merits or cleaning ourselves up or having a certain pedigree that we can hold up or certain list of achievements. It's through free gift. You give it to people for free. So Lord, um, as we approach you, we approach you as just the simple, open armed, open hearted receivers of your own union our Lord Jesus Christ, of us all, in We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All-Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.